Mary carried the precious bottle of ointment in her hands as she walked back up the hill from Jerusalem to Bethany. Earlier that morning, she had been sitting at Jesus' feet while her sister Martha was busy preparing for a feast at their Uncle Simon's house. Uh, Simon wanted to honor Jesus with a grand celebration, and, and Martha was going to be the hostess. Well, Martha had been angry at Mary for not helping out enough, but Jesus had treated her tenderly. He seemed to truly value the time that they spent together. Mary remembered him showing her that same kind of tenderness the first time she had met him. It seemed so long ago, so much had happened since then. It had been very early in the morning. Mary was sleeping restlessly beside one of her customers. Vaguely, she remembers hearing a cock crow in the distance. The priests would be offering up the morning sacrifice in the temple. Suddenly, the door was thrown open. Mary saw a bright light, and hands were grabbing her roughly and yanking her out of bed. Frantically, she clutched at something to cover herself with as several men jerked her out of the house and into the street. What was happening? Why were they doing this? Fear flooded her mind. Everyone knew there were prostitutes in Jerusalem. The officers normally turned their heads and looked the other way. Very commonly, the uh, powerful men of the city, you know, the, the governors and the priests, didn't just turn their heads, but rather chose to indulge themselves in the delights that she had to offer. Even now, Mary could recognize several of her own customers in the crowd of men that was forcing her down the street. Then, Mary realized that they were taking her towards the temple, and and panic raged through her mind, causing her whole body to tremble with fear. Even though people normally turned a blind eye to the, the prostitutes in the city, Mary knew all too well what the punishment for adultery was. This angry mob of men meant to stone her to death on the temple steps. Why? What had changed? What had she done to enrage them like this? Everything was happening so fast. All of a sudden, the, the mob comes to a, a stop and, and thrusts her down to the ground at the foot of the temple steps. There was a, a small crowd gathered there listening to some rabbi. They turned to look at Mary and at the angry men that surrounded her. And then one of these men addressed the rabbi on the steps. Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery. She was caught in the very act. The law of Moses commands us to stone such women. What do you say? Oddly, the teacher made no reply. Instead, he, he knelt down very near to her and began writing in the dust with his finger. Through her tears, Mary couldn't make out the letters that he traced there. Was it the sentence of her condemnation? The whole crowd grew restless. Then the leader of the mob hissed, Well, answer me, what do you say? The teacher rose and faced them all. His voice was calm and very confident, as with authority. He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to cast a stone. A tremor raged through Mary's body. She covered her head with her arms to, to ward off the stones that she knew must certainly come. She could almost begin to feel them pelting her from every side. But then several moments passed, and she felt nothing. All she could hear was her own rapid breathing and the pulse pounding in her head. Mary opened her eyes to see the rabbi once again kneeling beside her once again writing in the dust with his finger. 
She glanced back to see the last of the men drop their stones and turn to walk away. What had happened? Where were they going? Why hadn't they stoned her? Through blurry eyes, she looked at the rabbi. She could barely even make out his face through the tears. But he spoke to her in a voice of gentleness and compassion. Young woman, where are your accusers? Does no one remain to condemn you? Mary looked behind her shoulder to see who was left. There was no one there. The angry mob had dispersed. The men with the stones were all gone. Lord, she whispered, there is no one. Rabbi leaned down and lifted Mary's chin so that he could look into her eyes. The tears still flowed down Mary's face. The rabbi knelt down, lifted her up off of the ground, and said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Mary's thoughts drifted back to the the present. She would remember that day for the rest of her life. The images were etched in her mind. Memories of, of anger and hatred, not directed at her as she now knew, but at the rabbi, at Jesus. But there were also memories of relief and of joy and of freedom. From that moment on, she knew that her life would never be the same. And now, as she continued her walk across the Mount of Olives towards Bethany, Mary recalled the events from earlier this day. Earlier that morning, after Jesus had reproved Martha for all of her busyness, she had gone right along with all of her preparations, ignoring Jesus' plea for her, too, to come and sit at his feet. You see, Martha seemed to believe that serving Jesus was more important than being with him. Jesus had something important he wanted to share with them both, But Martha was just too busy with all of her tasks. Jesus had seemed oddly contemplative. He had told Mary something that had greatly disturbed her. He said that the Son of Man would be handed over to sinners to be killed, uh, but on the third day he would be lifted up. You know, Mary always got a little confused when Jesus spoke about himself in the third person, using the language of the prophets of old, like Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. She always kind of got the impression that he himself was making some kind of abstract prophecy about the distant future. But something in Jesus' mood told her this time was different. After Jesus left her to go meet with uh, Peter and James and John and the rest, things had come sharply into focus for her. Ever since Jesus had raised her brother Lazarus up from the dead, a powerful group within the Sanhedrin had been seeking to capture Jesus and to, to bring charges up on him to possibly put him to death. Well, maybe this wasn't just an abstract prophecy about the distant future. Maybe this was a very real prediction about events that would happen soon, very soon. Perhaps the rumor circulating among the disciples was true. Perhaps Jesus was preparing to confront the corrupt religious leaders of Israel. They might take him into captivity for three days, but then like Jonah, God would rescue him in a miraculous way. And and his followers would rise up, overthrow Herod and the hypocritical religious leaders, and ultimately break free from the tyranny of Rome itself. Jesus must be preparing to assert himself As king of Israel, Mary knew what she had to do. Every king must be anointed. 
Tonight at the feast at Simon's house, Mary would provide the fragrant oil that would be used to anoint Jesus as king. Well, she definitely had to go to Jerusalem. The kind of oil she needed certainly couldn't be purchased here in Bethany. On her way to Jerusalem earlier that day, Mary recalled the recent events that had brought Jesus to this point. Several weeks ago now, her brother Lazarus had come down with a, a fairly severe fever. After several days, the fever hadn't broken and had, in fact, gotten significantly worse. Well, Jesus and Lazarus were pretty good friends, and uh, Jesus and disciples had often spent time with Martha and Lazarus at their estate in Bethany. And so Martha had immediately sent word to Jesus about Lazarus' condition. Jesus had healed so many people all over the land. Surely he could also heal his good friend Lazarus from this fever. Well, their cousin Gabriel returned after just a few days and said that he had, in fact, found Jesus and, and relayed the message. But then several more days had passed, and Jesus had still not arrived. What could be keeping him? In the meantime, Lazarus' condition had grown steadily worse. Despite all of her best efforts, Martha had been unable to nurse Lazarus back to health. Lazarus had died, and Jesus had never even shown up. Mary was devastated. Lazarus was the only one in her family, the only one in Bethany, who had showed her any kind of forgiveness or acceptance. And now he was gone. Mary had to admit that she was a little bitter at Jesus. Gabriel had, had reached him in plenty of time, but Jesus had still not shown up. Why not? What was so important that Jesus couldn't come to save one of the, li the life of one of his dearest friends? Mary was miffed and very confused. This just didn't seem like the Jesus she knew, the one who had shown her such compassion. Martha and Mary were in their house preparing to go out to the tomb to meet with the mourners when uh, a young neighbor girl named Anna showed up and, and told them that Jesus was just outside of, of Bethany. Well, Martha immediately got up to go out and meet with him, but Mary's emotions were still in a turmoil. She wasn't ready to go out and see Jesus. After just a little while, Martha returned and, and told her that Jesus had specifically asked to see her. Mary was still very upset with him, but she decided to go anyway. As soon as she saw Jesus, she broke down in tears. Before Jesus could say a word, all of her frustrations came rushing out. Why didn't you come? What was so important that you would let Lazarus die? If you had been here, you could have saved him. Why didn't you come? Seeing her despair, Jesus was moved with compassion. Tears came to his eyes as he felt Mary's pain burn within his own heart. Quietly he asked her, where have they laid him? Without saying a word, Mary turned and led him to the tomb. Martha and the other mourners were already gathered there. And as they approached, Jesus kind of just stopped and surveyed the crowd. Everyone was looking almost accusingly at him. But then Jesus made a really odd request. Actually, it was more like a command. He told Martha to have some men remove the stone that was sealing the grave. 
When Martha began to protest, Jesus told her that if she would just believe, then she would see the glory of God. Well, the crowd of mourners was more than a little perplexed as several men went forward and began to roll the stone away from the tomb. Jesus stepped up on a a small hill, lifted his eyes towards heaven, and said a short prayer to the Father. And then he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! Mary drew a sharp breath. What was he doing? Could this possibly be? In another instant, her question was answered as Lazarus walked out of his tomb, struggling to free himself from the grave claws. He was alive. Dear God, he was alive. After being dead for over four days, Lazarus was walking out of his tomb. As the crowd of onlookers rushed to surround Lazarus and to, to, to see him and help him out, Mary fell at Jesus' feet. She was afraid of what she had just seen. She was ashamed of how she had doubted him. But more than anything else, she was absolutely certain that he was indeed the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one of God. If she'd had any doubts before, they were erased now. Erased by the sight of her brother walking alive out of that tomb. Despite of shame and tears of joy. Earlier that day, as Mary approached Jerusalem on her mission to obtain the anointing oil, a caravan had just arrived in the city from the very far east, with some items coming from as far away as India. The whole market was alive with activity. Well, amid the hustle and bustle, Mary was eventually able to locate a man selling fine perfumes. The merchant just kind of smiled at her when she made her request. Dear lady, this is genuine spikenard perfume. Perhaps the rarest of the fragrant oils from the East. It is reserved almost exclusively for holy services or for the courts of kings. At his words, a small crowd gathered around. They all laughed at Mary when she asked him how much it cost. And then the whole crowd gasped in amazement as Mary produced her pouch and began to count out the 500 denarii that the merchant had named as the price. They wondered to themselves how this woman had come to be carrying an amount of money equal to a whole year's earnings for a working man. Even more bewildering was the idea that she would spend that kind of money on such a lavish and impractical extravagance as spikenard perfume. Mary just smiled to herself as she walked away with the treasure in her hands, thinking how she had just purchased the anointing oil of the king with a harlot's wages. But now, as she was approaching Bethany, that thought began to trouble her more and more. 
After that dreadful day on the temple steps, when Jesus had saved her from the mob and set her free from her guilt, she had felt clean and new. But it wasn't long before she had fallen back into her previous ways. When she got back into her old environment with her old clients and her old friends, the old habits just returned in force. And each time Jesus' words had haunted her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. But she kept falling time and time again. And each time Jesus had rescued her, Seven times, Jesus had cast out the demons that sought to control her mind and to lead her back into a life of sin. They were so convincing. The voices in her mind ranged from from greed to power to fear. You know, Mary actually kind of liked the power that her tradecraft gave her over men. She liked the respect that she had learned, at least in certain circles for she was one of the most sought-out practitioners of her craft. She loved the money that she could have complete control of, even as a woman. And she feared the poverty and the shame she would face if she accepted Jesus' forgiveness, because she couldn't accept the forgiveness without also accepting the admonition, go and sin no more. But Jesus had returned to her each and every time. It was as if he were seeking her out to personally rescue her from her life of sin. And eventually, Jesus' love had won her over. It overcame the guilt and the pride and the shame. Jesus had even convinced her to go seek reconciliation with her brother and sister. Now, that had been hard. Even though forgiveness and acceptance had come rather easily to her brother Lazarus, it wasn't the same with Martha. To this day, Martha harbored resentment against her, just like this morning when when she got mad at the time that Mary spent sitting at Jesus' feet. Martha seemed to consider herself to be the, the good and faithful older daughter who had remained loyal to the family and who had worked hard to maintain the household after their mother had died while Mary had thrown her life away with wild living, walking the streets of Jerusalem. Martha made Mary feel like the prodigal daughter in one of Jesus' parables. And quite honestly, Martha wasn't alone. Practically everyone in Bethany was of the same mind. Even now, Mary could feel their condemning stares surrounding her as she walked back through the gates of the town. Now, Bethany was only about two miles or so from Jerusalem, but it was a world apart in terms of character. See, Bethany was a very small town, and people in small towns know everyone else's business. What's more, practically everyone in Bethany was related to each other in one way or another, right? So, as a young girl, when... Mary had been convinced to give herself up to a handsome young man. Everyone in town knew within a matter of days. They called her defiled and unclean. They hurled insults at her, and they would have hurled stones if her father hadn't intervened. He was a very wealthy and influential man in town. But even though he had held the mob at bay and saved her life at that moment, he himself 
had then turned his back on her and put her out of his household. He said she was a disgrace to the family and that he would no longer consider her his daughter. Feeling alone and afraid, Mary fled from Bethany first to Jerusalem, but that was kind of too big and too close. And so she kept going until she finally found herself in the little town of Magdala on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Hungry and alone, with no family and no place to stay, she had turned to the only way she could find for a young woman to survive. Even now, the town members of Bethany would not welcome her home. To them, she was not Mary of Bethany, the daughter of an influential father and, and a member of a respectable family. To them, she was Mary of Magdala, a harlot, Mary the Magdalene, a foreigner to Bethany and an outcast. Her father took that bitterness with him to his grave. Unlike Jesus, he had never sought her out. He had never tried to rescue her. He had never shown her any kind of forgiveness. Tears came to Mary's eyes, and she clutched the alabaster flask close to her breast, more intent now on her mission than ever before. Her father had cast her out. Other men had used her to satisfy their desires. Jesus was the only man who had ever shown her any kind of true and genuine love. She would honor him tonight at the feast in front of the whole town, regardless of what they thought of her. But then, as she approached Simon's house, her resolve began to weaken. The feast was just about ready to begin, and the closer she came, the condemning stares all around her became even more intense. How could she dare approach this place? Simon was a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin. He was Bethany's religious leader. It wouldn't be proper for an unclean and sinful woman like her to enter his house. Well, Simon was, was throwing this feast in honor of, of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, right? But even though Lazarus was Mary's brother, no one thought she would be disrespectful enough to actually show up. Surely she would know better. Surely she would not dishonor either Simon or Jesus with her presence. And then Simon himself looked at her, and she faltered. The disgust in his gaze overwhelmed her. Mary couldn't understand why Simon was so bitter against her. He wasn't an evil man. He was one of the few Pharisees who wasn't against Jesus, who wasn't out to try to discredit him. What's more, Simon had once been an outcast just like she was. He was known as Simon the leper. Though Simon had once been a prominent leader among the Pharisees, he had then been stricken with leprosy. He was forced out of the community. He was considered to be unclean. No one could touch him. Most people believed that leprosy was a curse from God for some kind of hidden sin in his life. Everywhere Simon went, he had to cry out, Leper, 
outcast, unclean, so that no one would accidentally come near to him and touch him. He was forced to live in the valley of the lepers outside of Jerusalem. There he sat day after day, hungry and alone, while his body wasted away from that cruel disease. But then one day, Simon had heard about Jesus. He heard how Jesus was miraculously healing people all over the land. Well, no doubt, Simon was angry at God, and he didn't really want to have anything to do with any supposed prophets. But he was desperate enough to try just about anything. Because of his former station in life, Simon was able to get out of the Valley of the Lepers with nine other companions. Together, they sought Jesus out and begged to be healed. And with a single word, Jesus honored their request. And each one of them was cleansed. Simon gazed in disbelief as his rotted flesh was restored before his very eyes. In an instant, he understood what this meant. His old life was restored. He not only got back his health, but also his wealth and his station in society. Simon shouted for joy as he and his companions raced away to offer the sacrifice and show themselves to the priests so that they could be pronounced clean. Of the ten men who sought Jesus out, only one, and a Samaritan at that, had turned back to offer Jesus any kind of thanks. Well, in many ways, this, this feast was part of Simon's effort to try to make up for that selfish blunder. Simon had been an outcast, just like Mary was. He had been labeled as unclean. And yet Jesus had restored both his health and his status in the community. So why was she any different? If Jesus could make him clean from his leprosy, why could Jesus not also pronounce her clean from her sin? And yet Simon's eyes were locked on her. She was crushed by his condemning stare. And she began to turn away. As Mary's eyes flickered down in shame, she caught a glimpse of Jesus among the men gathered around the table. He was looking at her with a compassion in his eyes that she had known from no one else. It was the compassion that he had shown on the temple steps when she was caught in adultery. It was the compassion he had shown when he had sought her out time and time again on the streets of Jerusalem. It was the compassion he had shown when he had led her back to her brother's house and helped them reconcile. It was the compassion he had shown when she had become, been overcome with grief at her brother's death. When Jesus himself had wept, not at the loss of her brother, but because he felt her heartbreak and he had grieved along with her. As Jesus' gaze held her transfixed, he silently called her by name. Mary. Mara. It was Jesus' own mother's name. It meant bitterness or sorrow. Jesus knew her pain. 
He understood the loneliness in her heart and he silently called her by name. Mary was no longer turning away, but found herself walking instead steadily towards Jesus, oblivious to the stairs of condemnation that surrounded her on every side. Slowly, humbly, she walked up beside him. She broke the seal on the alabaster flask, and the fragrant smell filled the air with a potency that no one could ignore. There, amid the stunned silence, Mary poured the oil on Jesus' head and anointed him as her king. Almost immediately, a a clamor broke out among the crowd. What did this woman think she was doing? Mary even heard grumblings from among Jesus' own disciples. One of them, Judas, spoke up. Lord, rebuke this woman. This was a very costly waste of money. This, This perfume should have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. Yeah, Mary knew Judas. In her former life, she had met countless men just like him. His righteousness, indignation sounded very righteous, but she saw past the facade. His was only self-righteousness. What's more, he was a liar and a thief. It was no surprise to Mary when uh, Jesus came to her defense, for she knew the heart of her king. But what he said... The words that he used pierced her to the heart. Jesus said that her sacrifice was honorable and wherever the good news of the kingdom was proclaimed, her act would be remembered. But that's not what caused Mary to tremble. It wasn't that she would be remembered, but why she would be remembered. Jesus said that she had anointed him not as king of Israel, but that she had anointed him for his burial. In that instant, the devastating truth became clear to her. Earlier that morning, when Jesus had uttered that strange oracle to her, it had not been symbolic. When Jesus had said that the Son of Man would be handed over to sinners to be killed, He had meant it literally. All of a sudden, Mary understood what Jesus intended to do. He intended to give Himself up to the religious leaders to be killed. But the whole truth was even more painful. You see, Mary not not only knew that Jesus was going to die, but somehow she understood why. The words of John the Baptist that Andrew had told her so many times came ringing back in her ears. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It was the week of Passover. The Passover Lamb was about to be slain to take away the sins of Israel. Jesus was about to be slain as the true Passover Lamb to take away the sin of the world. But not just any sin. And not just for anybody. Jesus was going to die For her sin, for all of the adultery and the pride and the shame and the fear. Jesus was going to take her sin upon himself. Jesus was going to die in her place. The stones that the angry mob had intended to use on her at the temple steps would instead be cast at him. Her guilt would be washed away and she would be made clean. But at what cost? At the cost of Jesus' own blood. Mary's heart broke. She fell to her knees. The alabaster flask slipped from her grasp and shattered on the floor. The oil spilled out, mixing with the dust on Jesus' feet. Mary wept bitter tears 
for a truth that only she understood. The tears flowed down Mary's cheeks and fell in drops on Jesus' feet. Almost unconsciously, she freed her hair from its covering and she used her hair to wipe the dust and the oil and her own tears from the feet of her Redeemer. Mary was only vaguely aware of the accusation that Simon hurled against her. Quite honestly, she didn't know whether he had uttered it aloud or whether Jesus had just read it in his expression. Did Jesus know what kind of woman this was? How could he let her touch him? She was a harlot, a sinner, unclean. Through her sobs, Mary could just barely hear Jesus once again coming to her defense. Simon, who loves more? One who has forgiven 500 denarii, a harlot's wages, the price of a bottle of perfume, or one who has forgiven only 50 denarii, the offering made for a leper's cleansing? He who has forgiven little, loves little. But she who has forgiven much, loves much. Look at this woman, Simon. I came to your house and you offered me no water for my feet, but she, in her great humility, has wet my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. With her hair, Simon, with the crown of her glory. You did not give me a kiss, but she, since the moment I entered this house, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you that her sins, which indeed are many, have been forgiven. For she has loved much. But he who has forgiven little, loves little. Jesus reached down and lifted Mary's chin so that he could look into her eyes. The tears still flowed down Mary's face. Jesus smiled at her. And in a voice with both gentleness and authority, he said, Mary, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. As Mary rose and turned to walk silently away, in her heart, she felt a strange mixture of, of freedom and of loss, of hope and uncertainty. As Mary left her sin behind on the floor of Simon's house, she knew for certain that Jesus was going to die. But what she would not know for several more days now was that Jesus would not remain in the tomb. Though he would bear her sins to the grave and die for her the second death, his was the purity and the holiness of an indestructible life. She had indeed anointed him for his burial, but she had also in truth anointed him as king. Neither did Mary know. That when Jesus came forth from the grave, even before he would ascend to the Father in heaven, he would stop by the tomb to share the good news 
not with Peter the brash or with James the confident or even with John the faithful, but with her, with Mary the Magdalene, Mary the harlot, Mary the outcast, Mary the forgiven, Mary the one who had loved him so much.